Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day workshop for men seeking to overcome any destructive sexual habits. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery with decades of combined experience. Read testimonials of workshop alumni at gatewaymen.com get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY Hi, my name is Jonathan and I'm the founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop I want to personally invite you to be part of our next workshop coming up June 24th through the 26th in Texas so call us today at 210-822-8201 or visit gatewaymen.com Welcome to Pure Sex Radio, training men, educating women. Are you ready to get real and start living each day in purity? This dynamic program is designed to educate, encourage, and equip listeners with the tools necessary for living a life of sexual purity. Pure Sex Radio brings you the best in mobile talk radio. Listen to real life struggles, learn how to overcome lust, pornography, and sex addiction, and get serious about purity. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. So glad to have you here with us. I'm going to be sharing a talk that I gave recently at a men's event on trying to help these men know how do you come alongside somebody in your life who is addicted and help them to break free. So I hope that you're blessed by this talk and that it might help you as you seek to reach out to those in your life who are struggling with an addiction. Enjoy. So tonight I want to do something very simple. What I want to do is I just want to share with you briefly the Reader's Digest version of my story so you know the context of where I'm coming from because I've entitled this talk, Hope for the Addicted. Statistically, in, in any size gathering that you have, statistically, between one-third to one-half of you out here right now are addicted to something. Now, how many of you would like to raise your hand and say, I, I would volunteer to be part of that pool of people, you know? And some of you are brave enough to say, okay... <laughs> I actually admit that I've got some things that are out of control. But most of us, we're not necessarily willing to come forward and be able to share that because it's actually admitting to brokenness, right? It's admitting we don't have control of our lives. It's admitting that there's some area where we're completely out of control. Well, that was my life, and I grew up in the church. So this is not something that just happens to folks out there, you know? It's not just a societal problem. It's very much a problem within the church. I grew up in the church. I knew the truth from the time I was a young boy that God had manifested himself in the person of Jesus Christ in order to pay the penalty that I owed and that you owed for our sin, for rebelling against God. And he did that by going to the cross. And not only did he pay the penalty for my sin on the cross and for your sin on the cross, but God accepted that penalty by raising him from the grave three days later. 
And through that resurrection, he now offers us the new life in him in exchange for our old life in sin. And that's the good news of the gospel. And I was raised in this. I was raised knowing this. But I was introduced to something that I couldn't understand and couldn't handle when I was 12 years old. It was pornography. And from that point on, pornography got its hooks in me. And the reason the title of my, my biography is Secrets is because that's what got me in trouble. I didn't know what to do with it, and so I tucked it away. I didn't tell anybody about what I was struggling with. But pornography, pornography quickly became my drug all throughout junior high and high school. To the point where when I eventually got into college, I had become such a divided person that I crossed what we call the flesh boundary. It wasn't just pornography anymore. I actually started to become sexual with girls. And all the while, I'm still representing myself as someone who is in fellowship with God. But the Bible tells us in 1 John, if we say we have fellowship with God, yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. And so I wasn't practicing the truth. I was a divided person. Eventually I got married thinking that would cure my problem with lust and pornography and this addiction. It didn't. It only made me dive deeper into secrecy. And eventually I started using pornography again, even in my marriage. And then eventually I even started being unfaithful to my wife through setting up anonymous encounters with other people. And so lust, this part of our being that wants more and more and more of what is not good for us, is never satisfied. And if you've ever tried to feed your lust, you know this is true. Because the more you feed it, it doesn't go, hmm, I'm full. I don't want any more unhealthy images. I don't want any more unhealthy behaviors. It says, no, you're going to feel a momentary satisfaction, but I'm not really satisfied. I want more and more and more. In fact, that's the only word that lust knows is more. It doesn't know the word enough. If, if my lust knew the word enough, then I would have looked at pornography one time and said, hmm, that's enough. But it doesn't know that word. And so I kept getting worse and worse. Eventually I was unfaithful to my wife on multiple counts, and then eventually I even got involved in prostitution and very dangerous activities. In the summer of 99, everything came out, and my wife left me. She was doing the thing to protect herself because she was in a uh, really dangerous situation with me. And that was the catalyst that God used to rattle me, to bring me back to what is true, and to, to build my life, rebuild my life from the ground up. And so for the last almost 17 years, I've been on a journey of recovery and growth. And what I want to share with you tonight is trying to help you understand a little bit about this thing we call addiction in our society. In, in church or in the Bible, you might see it labeled stronghold, but they're essentially synonyms. I want you to understand a little bit about that. I also want you to understand a little bit about recovery and the process of what we might call in the Bible, redemption. And then finally, I want to actually give you practical things that you can do for anyone in your life who is addicted. Because the odds are very, very high that you have somebody in your life who is addicted to something. While my particular flavor, so to speak, of addiction had to do with sexual sin, what I'm going to share with you will be beneficial for anybody struggling with any kind of addiction. So first of all, I think it's important that I give you a what I consider kind of a basic definition for addiction. This isn't pulled out of a dictionary. This is in, based on my experience and just my work with literally thousands of men who have come out of a, a history of addiction. And I believe addiction is this. It's the compulsive effort to medicate pain 
and find fulfillment through the repeated misuse of a substance or behavior. So it's the compulsive effort, meaning there's a point at which it's no longer you saying, I'm in control, it's it becoming something that controls you. And the effort is to try to either medicate pain or just find fulfillment. It used to be that there was a over 80% of people who developed an addiction, it was because of some kind of trauma or abuse or events in their, in their history. That number is decreasing because we, have, we live in a society now that there's more of an entitlement mentality with young folks coming up. So it's not so much the initial impetus of a person becoming addicted, being a trauma that they had, but just that they live in a, in a world that is essentially saying, let's make me the center of the world, and so therefore everyone owes me, and I'm entitled. Regardless, it's still that a compulsive effort to find fulfillment or medicate pain through the repeated misuse of a substance or behavior. I really want to emphasize the word misuse. When it comes to our sexuality especially, sexual desire and sexual feelings are good. God made us male and female, and he said when he made us male and female, and he looked at Adam and Eve, he said it's very good. He declared our sexuality good. He declared our appetites good. The fact that we, man, we just, we just demonstrated that tonight. Eating steaks, eating good food, it is good to desire what, is, what tastes good. Those are good desires. But what happens when we misuse those and they become compulsive and we take them outside of the bounds? Well, then you're on your way to addiction. So understanding addiction, I want you to understand something very important about addiction, about those who are addicted. No one aspires to be an addict. I think sometimes we look at the people in our lives, maybe we've looked at ourselves, if we have become addicted to something. We look at those who are addicted and we think, yeah, you, you, at some point in your life, you said this is what you wanted in your life. And we need to understand that is not true. Nobody wakes up at 14 years old and goes, oh, I know what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be an addict. Nobody sets out to become addicted. Addiction occurs through a series of very small choices over long periods of time. The Bible puts it this way in terms of the enemy getting a foothold. See, the enemy residing in your life does not occur in an instant. In other words, a stronghold or an addiction does not occur instantaneously. It's by little footholds over time. A foothold here, a foothold there. Next thing you know, more and more ground of your life is given over to the enemy. More, more of your ground of your life is taken outside the camp of where God designed you to live. And so be careful of assuming when you see somebody that's drowning in addiction that they actually wanted to be there because no one aspires to be an addict. Addiction is also an escape from reality. One of the primary reasons that people continue to go back, one of the primary reasons I continue to go back to pornography and these other things is because reality is hard. Real life is difficult. Real relationships are messy. Real friendship is often, it, it often can rub you the wrong way. There's conflict, there's disagreement, there's pain, there's loss. And you know what? For some, 
It's just easier. Pornography is way easier than a real relationship. Now, for some of you, you may go, well, please say something after that because that sounds really kind of weird. You're actually saying you're actually saying something positive about pornography. Yeah, it's easier than a real relationship. Now, it leads to death because we're told that the wages of sin is death. But hey, initially, pornography is way easier than a real relationship because guess what? Porn's always in the mood. Porn never rejects you. Porn never says, I'm tired. Porn never says I'm rest- uh, uh, that, that your sexuality is meant to be contained within the boundary of marriage. See, porn's way easier than a real relationship. And so this idea is that addiction is an escape from reality. And the thing is, here's the problem with a fantasy. What occurs in addiction is you start to live in this fantasy world. And keep in mind, you know, uh, the idea of imagination is good. God gave us an imagination. We are made in His image. But when we take that imagination and turn it into fantasy, essentially we are making ourselves the center of, of, our, of our world. And if you've ever noticed, whenever you have a, a fantasy, the moment you try to reach out and touch and grab anything in that fantasy, it, it vanishes because it's an illusion. It's not real. So it initially appears like, man, this is going to be so much better. Pornography is so much easier than a real relationship. And then you actually try to engage it in a real way and all of a sudden it just disappears. Addiction also demands immediacy. Addiction thinking is now, 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 right now. There is no sense of patience. There's no sense of endurance. There's no sense of delayed gratification. There's no sense of long-term planning when you go down the path of addiction. Also, addiction hurts relationships. That should go without saying. Mainly because addiction is a me-focused paradigm. It's essentially saying, I'm in the center of the universe and everything needs to revolve around me. And to be in a relationship with somebody who's addicted is very difficult because no matter how much you try to serve that person, no matter how much you try to help that person, they will find a reason to discount those efforts because it's all about them. And finally, addiction steals life. We're told that the wages of sin is death. See, when I got to the height or depth of my addiction, however you want to look at it, I was suicidal. There were, there were a couple times in the year prior to my wife leaving that I sat on the end of our bed with a gun pointed at my head, safety off, trying to think of one good reason not to pull the trigger. We like to think sometimes that that verse, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. We like to immediately gloss that over. Let's make that some kind of spiritual meaning, some some sort of emotional meaning. But if you take those words, sin, death, wages, and translate them from the Greek, they mean wages, sin, death. There's no other way to translate them. And so it's very real that sin is killing you. And so think about it. The more we give ourselves over to it, the more it is literally taking our lives. So that's a little bit about addiction. I want to help you understand recovery. The first thing you got to understand about recovery, if you're seeking to come alongside somebody, or if you need help in recovery, is that recovery is not easy. It's not easy. While we stand firmly on the grace of God and that there is nothing that we bring to the table to earn our salvation before God, if you have become enslaved into an addiction, the characteristics that must develop in your life develop over time. Because to shift a paradigm from saying me in the center and everything must revolve around me to a life of humility and service and a Christ-centered life, is, it takes time. <laughs> The, the, the accountability, the friendships, 
the confession, the honesty, those things don't immediately change overnight. Those are character qualities that must be developed over time. And it's a major paradigm shift that has to happen. And so you need to understand for yourself and for others that recovery is not easy. We, we often like to shoot our wounded in the church. And if somebody isn't making changes fast enough, if they're not changing that behavior fast enough, we kick them to the curb. And this is a long process that is not easy. Also, recovery must be holistic. And what I mean is you can't, so many times we focus on behavior and only behavior. Saying, listen, you got to stop drinking. you got to stop looking at porn. you got to stop these things. And so we look at the behavior and we ignore the fact that we are body, soul, and spirit. And so a lot of times what happens is pastors focus on the spiritual. Counselors focus on the emotional. Physicians focus on the physical. And I like to say, let's get them all together because we need that kind of a process. We need to realize that we are body, soul, and spirit. And so recovery needs to involve our whole being. Sometimes we are doing a disservice to a person when we say, you just need to pray and read your Bible more. When there's a very real biological, chemical release that is going on in their brain that they have been releasing for decades, and you're going to tell that person all you need to do is pray a little bit more. Guess what? They probably need a season of being on medication to help bring some balance to those chemicals while they are learning to pray and fellowship and and have accountability. Also, and that means recovery requires patience and persistence. We've got to be patient. If we're the ones that are in recovery, we've got to be patient with ourselves. We also need to be persistent. I like to tell people that there's no way that you can call someone a failure if they get up every time they stumble. The Bible says, a righteous man falls seven times, yet he rises again. You know what I hear in that? Even the righteous fall. But what does it say? It gets up every time. When you are trying to come alongside somebody and help them, the last thing you need to do is when they've stumbled for the tenth time in the last three weeks is to kick them around when they've gotten up. You say, good, you got up. Let's try again. If you have the mentality that you're going to learn from your mistakes, you're probably going to have more success in recovery rather than kicking people when they've made mistakes. And then recovery heals relationships and then recovery rebuilds life. See, recovery is about shifting this paradigm, saying it's all about me, to understanding that we were made for relationship. Therefore, it requires humility. It requires stepping into the mess of real life, stepping into the difficulty of real relationships. And when we do that, what you find, and what I found, is that there's real joy, not a, not a fantasy type of joy. There's real peace, not this fantasy type of one day I'll get to a place where nothing's going to hurt me. There's real purpose. And there's no, no idea of purpose in addiction. See, after nine months of separation, God performed a miracle, and my wife and I were restored. And that's nothing short of a miracle, because it really was a miracle. There's no reason, logically, why my wife and I should have gotten back together. But the good news is that love and grace are not logical. They transcend logic. And so therefore, no matter where you are, what you're struggling with, remember that the love and grace of God, while your situation may not make sense, that there could be hope, joy, peace, and purpose, keep firmly in mind that the love and grace of God transcends all of what you find reasonable 
in your life. So I want to give you three things as we close here that are very practical ways in which you can help someone who's addicted. And this is any kind of addiction. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to tell your story. You might think, wait a second, they're addicted. Why am I telling my story? And here's the reason why. The reason you need to tell your story to somebody who is addicted in your life is because that's the best way to create a safe enough environment for them to tell theirs. See, one of the things you will find when you start reaching out to somebody who is addicted and you say, can I tell you my story? What you will find is that you are more alike than you are different. We are the ones that like to draw all kinds of lines around the different ways in which we are broken. But God doesn't do that. He says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we have no right to look down our nose at our neighbor who is drowning in an addiction and say, I'm better than you because I'm not compulsively acting out in those ways. That sets us up for failure, but it also does nothing to help that brother or that sister. We instead need to say, I want to create a safe enough environment for you to tell me your story, but let me break the ice. Because I want you to know that I'm not perfect either. That I'm broken. I'm in the same need of the grace and love that you need. And let's maybe walk through this together. So you need to tell your story in order to create those safe enough environments for them to tell you theirs. The second thing, and believe it or not, what I'm telling you is in order. The second thing you need to do if you're going to help somebody who's addicted is you need to point them to Jesus. And I would say, wait a second, you got it backwards. You know, the first thing is pointing to Jesus. Then you tell your story wrong. You go the other way. You will have no opportunity to point them to Jesus if you do not first tell your story. Too many times we shut the door, we slam the door, we, we push people away because we can clearly see this person's need for the power of Jesus Christ in their lives. But when we lead with that, it's overwhelming to them. They can't trust you because they're like, where are you broken? You're just bringing me all this, this seemingly good news about Jesus. And, and you, you know, great, thanks, knight in shining armor. That didn't help me at all. I don't want to talk to you anymore because I can't relate to you. Instead, when you start with your story, you're saying, guess what? You and I are in the same boat. We're in the same need of the grace of God. And let, me, let me share with you this Jesus and how he can impact your life. See, the thing about Jesus is he's the only one that actually has the power to bring the dead back to life. He's the only one. He's the only one that has the power to heal the addicted. And so we need to point people to Jesus. There was a story of Jesus one time where he was walking outside the walls of Jerusalem, and there was a place called the Pool of Bethesda, and it was a healing pool, and he, he met this guy who'd been an invalid for 38 years. He hadn't been able to walk for 38 years. And Jesus asked this guy, do you want to get well? Which seems like an odd question, because why else would a guy that has legs that can't work be around a pool of healing water? But Jesus cut through the facade of what seemed obvious and said, do you want to get well? And the guy had a very victim response. Well, there's nobody around to help me when the pool's stirred, and, you know, I, I, I can't. And Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, Jesus was the only person that could come up to that man and tell him to get up and his legs start working. Nobody else could have done that. Jesus is the one that had the power to do that. But notice what else he did. 
He didn't just get the man legs that work. He changed the whole destiny of his future because he said, you pick up your mat and walk. He was saying, I'm giving you legs that work, and now my expectation is that you use them. Because he, he couldn't beg anymore. He had to go get a job. I often think that there was a, the, the biggest high-low moment in history in that guy's life. Hallelujah, my legs work. Oh, man, i got to get a job now. I can't, I can't keep mooching off other people. And yet, isn't that what healing is about? Jesus was inviting this man into the reality of life, being a, a productive member of society. And so many times we take the addicted, we cast them off and say, you have no use in society. And Jesus is saying, I'm a resurrection God. I can heal this person and make them productive in the world in which I am building in my kingdom. So finally, so you need to tell your story to create that safe enough place for them to tell their story and begin the process of healing. You need to point them to Jesus because he's the only one that can give them legs that work. He's the only one that can heal them. And then finally, you need to cast a vision of purposeful legacy. See, so many folks who were addicted, I was one, felt like it's over. It's a lost cause. Even if somehow I stopped acting out, there's no possible way that I have a purpose, that there's meaning, that there's something useful that could come out of my life. And God is saying, no, you know what it is? Is when you begin to understand that I can heal you, I can also put you into service. I can also use you in a way that's productive and meaningful. And the way we do this in terms of helping somebody have a purposeful legacy is we get them to understand that it's better to give than to receive. If an addicted person has the paradigm of me in the center and everything revolving around me, that is not a generous person. That is not a person that knows how to serve. That is not a person that's willing to lay down their life for somebody else. But when they begin to go through the process of healing and understand what it means to be loved unconditionally by the God of the universe and what it means to have some brothers come alongside and walk through this with them, they begin to realize that the better life the purposeful life is the one that is spent for the glory of God. The one that says, as John did, he said, he must increase Jesus, I must decrease. And to be able to say that we are laying down our lives for one another, because that's what true friends do. And so that's how you can help the folks that are addicted in your life, is understand this process that they need to go through, that it's really difficult. But be willing to step into the mess and tell your story so that they understand that you have brokenness in your own life. Maybe it's not addiction, but we're way more alike than we are different. And then, through the process of building relationship, you can point them to Jesus, the one who can speak into that person's life and say, get up, and their legs start to work. And then finally, as they continue on this journey, you can say, you see out there, What's better is to be a man who serves and sacrifices and gives his life for others in the same way that Jesus gave his life for us. So that's my encouragement to you tonight, is every single one of us, we've got somebody in our life who is struggling with addiction. Will we have the courage to step into the mess and be an agent of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their lives? My prayer is that we will. We will. Let me close this in prayer as we end our time here. 
Lord Jesus, we come before you, our King, our Lord, our Savior, and we bow our hearts, Lord, because we are grateful. There is no one like you. You gave us something no one else could, and that was true hope and true life. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here tonight, any man here tonight, who has not come in to relationship with God through the saving grace of Jesus Christ, I pray that that man, that man right now, wherever he sits, would embrace this free gift of eternal life through simply believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins, who was buried and who rose again, victorious over sin and death. And Lord, I pray that also these men would be already bringing to mind those in their lives who are bound up in strongholds of addiction, whatever the substance of behavior is. And Lord, I pray that you would already be stirring in these men's heart to give them the courage that they need to step into that person's life in a deeper way to invite them into this atmosphere of grace where they might be able to share their story and begin a healing process to discover what their purpose is in your kingdom. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's broadcast. If you have further questions about how to help somebody in your life who is struggling with addiction, please contact us today. And we look forward to seeing you back here next week on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.